0: Greetings once again. This is Chris Heimerdinger, artist, author, filmmaker extraordinaire, at least marginally extraordinaire. Those who listened to our first podcast entitled Religion, The Secret of Creative Brilliance now have a pretty good sense of our agenda here on Forever LDS. We are celebrating faith. And I hope that we're doing it in unique, fascinating, entertaining ways, not only with regard to my personal faith, but of all Judeo-Christian faiths. In fact, I hope many will come to see us as defenders of organized religion in general. But here's what's weird about that. If in any of our podcasts we actually achieve that goal, it'll probably be pure luck, because that's not really my objective. I am all about mind-bending, soul-expanding, intellectually stimulating stuff. I just confess that because I'm LDS, my religion will shape those explorations. Unavoidable. Those who believe religion is already going to inhibit any effort to ask the most stimulating questions or explore the most mind-bending subjects might want to tune into another podcast. I'm not asking you to leave. By all means, please, I hope that you stay. Our posts are currently open to anyone. You can post about this particular podcast or any other podcast on Forever LDS. You can post about various blogs. You can even write a guest blog. And if it's thoughtful and does not break our cardinal rule, i.e. it's not boring, we might even post it. So, rule number one. Sorry about the reverb. I thought it'd be cool. Probably corny. Anyway, rule number one, no profanity. If you happen to have a serious mental disability that inhibits your ability to communicate without exhibiting diarrhea of the larynx, this is not the website for you. First, I'd advise that you have your condition treated with a powerful antibiotic, possibly including surgery, and even then, know that you will have your posts deleted, probably before they even appear online. Rule number two Forever LDS, by its very nature, is bound to attract some hateful folks anti Mormons, anti Christians, anti religionists in general. Again, this is not your forum. There are plenty of places online where you can spew hatred to your heart's content. I really don't want to debate the kind of stuff you might find in anti-LDS, anti-Catholic, anti-Christian kinds of tracks or websites. If I or any one of my future guests happens to say something positive, even life-affirming, about Mormonism or religion that just inflames your ire to the utmost or the most ut, my advice is to find a quiet corner to sulk, maybe seek some therapy or legal prescriptions for anxiety meds, and spew your gobbledygook elsewhere. Now, there are exceptions occasionally, I know there are folks out there with honest questions. And they're seeking an honest discussion. Honest being the key word here. Some people just don't know how to be honest. They wouldn't recognize honesty if you dropped it on their head like a grand piano. They're so entwined and distorted by the art of manipulation, they've just lost the ability to communicate any other way. Intelligent inquiries about controversial subjects may see the light of day, but here's the catch only if the topic interests me personally. Listen, I read so much anti-Mormon literature before I joined the church and after I joined the church. I mean, I don't advise that course of action for anyone, but I did it anyway and somehow lived to tell the tale. The Lord must have aided me to read it in the right order, because frankly it soon became clear that most of it is just regurgitated nonsense that reveals the author's unwillingness to properly research an issue or perform any due diligence, and I have no patience for that. That's my prerogative, and I'm sticking to it. Rule number three, no advertising or self-promotion for some product or book or website that we haven't already agreed to advertise or self-promote. You want to know something about me? I hate commercials. Have I ever said that before? Well, let me say it now. I despise them. My favorite feature about the modern cable box is the ability to pause whenever commercials come on, then go off and eat dinner or write on my novel, come back and watch my show commercial free. Anyway, don't try to post links or advertisements unless pre-approved by our staff, which right now is me and Jared, my web designer. Having said that, there may come to my attention stuff that I'm proud to advertise, maybe even sell on our store. Rule number four, no flaming, avoid personal attacks against everything, but particularly against people. There are definitely undermining forces in the world, and we we reserve every right to call them out, and I believe there are right ways and wrong ways about doing this. No, I confess, I don't have it all figured out yet. Some of this will take time and experience, but if you want to discuss something or something someone said in a negative way, you're probably safest by keeping rules one, two, and three. For the most part, if you engage in flaming personal attacks, your post will be deleted. Here's a challenge, and I'd love to see this. Instead of denigrating the villains of the world, try celebrating the heroes. Those who are willing to do that on this website will likely become my personal heroes on Forever LDS. Rule number five. Okay, there is no rule number five. I just wanted to hear that reverb again. We're free to add rule number five later, but for now, just worry about rules one through four. Well, okay, there is a modest rule number five, and I've discussed it here before. And that is that our first goal on Forever LDS is to entertain. My object on Forever LDS is to attract bloggers and participants who outshine those of any other LDS or religious podcast. So make your posts intriguing, not boring. You see, I'm convinced if I just sit here and expound the doctrines of my church every podcast, my listeners are going to lose interest. Or they'll go to LDS.org and listen to general conference addresses. Nothing wrong with that. That stuff is gold. My approach will likely incorporate some of that, but in the end, our objective is a little different. In the infamous words of Captain Kirk, I want to go where no man has gone before. John luc Picard kind of updated that to go where no one has gone before, but that was just to be politically correct. The point is that I'm a hungry person, hungry to combine ideas that no one may have ever considered combining before. And by doing so, we come out with something surprisingly profound— But there is a catch, and it's a catch that I believe should corral all such adventures when exploring strange new worlds. Yes, I have an insatiable appetite for knowledge, experience, wisdom, and understanding, but I'm also a faithful Latter-day Saint, so all my adventures must be circumscribed by something far greater than myself. In LDS theology, we call that force the Holy Ghost. So how does it work exactly? Here I am on this journey to understand everything—science, the arts, math, engineering, uh, history, culture, psychology, sociology— and behind it all, I have this secret force? Well, it's not secret to those who use it, particularly those who recognize the Holy Ghost as an overarching and overwhelming gift. But it's my belief that without this guiding force circumscribing all knowledge that I gain in this life— that knowledge has the vast potential to become utterly meaningless. There's a great scripture in Second Timothy 3, 7, ever learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. We've all met people like that, right? Their head is, is just so packed with stuff. They're like hoarders or pack rats, but instead of using their apartments, they use their brains. But somehow in all their hoarding, in all their gathering of knowledge, they missed something, something big. I think everyone listening would agree that there's a fundamental dictionary difference between knowledge and intelligence, right? Knowledge is the tools, the nuts and bolts. Intelligence is the ability to use those tools, nuts and bolts. Everybody has likely had the experience of meeting someone who owns a lot of books. Maybe they've even read them, but in any case, they own them, and they may have earned multiple degrees. They may win every trivia contest known to man. They have a lot of tools and nuts and bolts, but when it comes to actually building something, actually creating something beautiful and unique and magnificent, there's a a kind of disconnect, a missing ingredient The 88th section of the Doctrine and Covenants tells us that intelligence cleaveth unto intelligence. You know, boy, I got to tell you, in an aside, if you ever want to just have an intellectual recharge to your day or your month, sit down and read D&C 88, the olive leaf plucked from the tree of paradise, the Lord's message of peace from start to finish, all 141 verses, Works every time. You want to strengthen your testimony that Joseph Smith was a prophet? Reread section 88. Same with section 93. In that section, starting halfway through verse 29, the Lord says, Intelligence, or the light of truth, was not created or made, neither indeed can be. All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it. To act for itself, as all intelligence also, Otherwise, there is no existence. That's deep. It's cool, but it gets better. Listen to verse 31. Behold, here is the agency of man, and here is the condemnation of man, because that which was from the beginning is plainly manifest unto them, and they receive not the light. So that's the difference in my mind between knowledge and intelligence. Knowledge we can gain and labor to collect, gather all day long, seven days a week, 365 days a year, but intelligence must be received, just like the Holy Ghost. Everyone probably remembers when you were confirmed a member of the church, you weren't given the Holy Ghost. The person who confirmed you said, receive the Holy Ghost, meaning that nothing is automatic. The power is put back on your shoulders. You have to receive the Holy Ghost. So how do you do that? How do you receive the Holy Ghost? No surprises. You receive it through faith, through obedience, through desire, through prayer, through service. You receive it through recognizing that God has it, and because he has it, you have to go through him to attain it, which means you better get on your knees and ask him. Ask him, what's next? What's next? What's next in my life? And he will tell you. The Holy Ghost, I believe, is the great equalizer of all humanity. So often we're tempted to whine because others seem so much smarter than us, so much more talented. They have so many more raw gifts and opportunities. But what we learn through the verses I just read is that none of that matters. The Holy Ghost is is the definer of true intelligence. It is this phenomenon that allows a humble farmer... I don't know why I pick on farmers, because farming actually requires quite a bit of experience and know-how. Let's just say it's what allows the average, I don't know, fast food employee. (laughs) This analogy is going to get really hard without offending someone. It allows, let's just say, the humble clerk of the most insignificant convenience store to stand on equal footing with a Nobel Prize-winning theoretical physicist. Because, you see, if that fast-food guy listens to the Holy Ghost and thereby makes righteous choices and lives his or her life in such a way that allows them to attain the celestial kingdom, whereas the theoretical physicist rejects the whisperings of the Spirit, lives a personal life of sin and degradation, and in the end obtains only the celestial kingdom, Who, in the eyes of eternity, in the eyes of God, was more intelligent? That's why I believe the Holy Ghost is humanity's great equalizer. It puts everybody on the same plane and allows each of us, if we listen, the opportunity to become like God. So that's what I'm talking about when I define knowledge alongside intelligence. And I'm not talking about human genius or incredible problem solvers. It would be an error to think I'm talking about the kind of intelligence potentially defined by IQ tests. Again, that's the difference between having the tools and using the tools. We don't have time today to explore all the side questions this philosophy introduces, such as, Well, then how come such beautiful things, some of the greatest inventions, some of the most magnificent pieces of art, are sometimes created by the most sinful and degenerate human souls? Excellent question. Think about that, and in another podcast, we'll explore that kind of question in depth. Forever LDS is supposed to make you think. But it would be way misleading if listeners think that Just because I pose the questions that I have all the answers. Big mistake. Huge misconception. I don't have the foggiest idea how much I don't know. Think about that sentence. It makes more sense than you think. In one of my books, I think it was Feathered Serpent, book one, I wrote, Sometimes I think life isn't so much a journey to collect answers as a journey to gather questions. In the next life, those who have the most or those who ask the right ones win. I'm not even sure if that's true, but it sounds profound, so let's run with it. Our job on Forever LDS is to ask the most questions and the right questions. We'll have a lot of fun discussing the answers, but in the end, such answers can only come from knowledge combined with intelligence and the Holy Ghost. Yet, so many people have been seduced, hoodwinked by so many wrong ideas over the last couple centuries that it's becoming hard to keep track of them all. And so many of them attack religion. The thing I think most Christians, most people of faith would agree with is that religious tradition has come under incredible pressure over the last hundred years. Some would say longer, some would say shorter. Christians in general are particularly feeling the siege And for good reason. When we've reached the point where we might offend someone just by saying Merry Christmas or by printing in God we trust on our currency, we know something has gone off the rails. It felt like the momentum built up very slow and then bam, we woke up one day and felt like the very things we held most precious for hundreds, even thousands of years were suddenly being attacked from all directions. I don't want to get off into the weeds by talking about the individual issues right now. I mean, each one probably deserves its own podcast, and maybe I'll leave those discussions to others. I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the most fundamental issues that started these conflicts. One of the biggest boxing matches that seems to have gained the most attention is the battle between science and religion. That rings true, right? But before we get into it, there's something you better know about me. I love science. I didn't always love science. In fact, if you get into the math side of science, which is almost unavoidable with physics or quantum mechanics, I hated that subject during my school years, especially junior high. It was probably sometime during high school, definitely during my first years of college, that I began to develop a jaw-dropping appreciation of practically every branch of science. I've easily studied more about science as an adult than I ever did as a student. And since we're all about honesty here, let me confess that I'm also a person who believes there are no conflicts between science and religion. And when I say that, I better be more clear. I see no conflicts between the core tenets of science and the doctrines of my particular religion. Now, just because I say that... Most people in various fields would automatically want to categorize me as being a proponent of intelligent design. I hate the compulsion everybody feels to put labels onto everything. I understand the tendency. I just don't like it. Intelligent design, as it's developed over the last couple of decades, goes to great lengths to leave the quote-unquote designer completely undefined. They don't want to call him Christ or Buddha or Thor or Zeus or anything else and they think this will gain them greater credibility in the scientific community. Good luck with that. I don't think it's working. Real scientists, those who consider themselves staunch adherents to the most disciplined rigors of academia, still label it all as a pseudoscience, no matter how innocuous the efforts of ID proponents might seem. So what's the point? You can't prove faith. I'm not saying it's a waste of time. Please, intelligent design proponents, by all means, keep hacking away. I'm just not sure it's necessary. You can poke enormous holes in just about every supposed incontrovertible principle of what is today classified as hardcore science anyway, so why not just have a lot of fun doing that? Again, for me, and for right now, I think I better put myself alone in this category, it all comes back to the Holy Ghost. Those who open themselves up to see will see. Those who insist upon remaining closed may never see. Until, of course, we pass on to the next phase of our existence, at which point everyone will see or not see, depending on your point of view. Confused? Good. So let's start this exercise with a very simple yet critical point. Let's start by giving credit where credit is due. I was told back in high school by one of my teachers whose names I can't remember. I, in fact, I, I, I think it was my ninth grade science teacher, Mr. Herr. Mr. Herr was a him, not a her, but that's immaterial. The point is that Mr. Herr taught us that there had not been an original thought among the progenitors of the human race since 1905 when a German physicist named Albert Einstein presented to the world his theory of special relativity. To find the next closest original idea, he believed you had to go back thousands of years to the time of the ancient Greeks. Now, Mr. Hur was a pretty intimidating guy. He spoke in a tone that made you feel like if you disagreed, you'd shrivel up and die. He had a, a prosthetic hand that was either made out of ceramic or mahogany or some other indestructible wood because we were always afraid as kids if we got too close, he'd crack our skulls. If you ever saw the movie Dr. Love. And remember Peter Sellers' prosthetic hand? You'd have a pretty accurate image of the, of the intimidation all of us ninth graders felt. Anyway, I'm not sure I agree with Mr. hers whole premise about what constitutes an original idea anymore. But at the time, okay, Albert Einstein, special relativity, the first original idea of mankind for thousands of years. But was Albert Einstein really the first human being to present special relativity to the world? Sorry, Mr. Hur, with all due respect, I now think someone else deserves that credit. And it was a full 62 years before Einstein. That person? Joseph Smith. I mean, technically, it wasn't even Joseph Smith. It was the prophet Abraham. And it wasn't 62 years. It was several thousand years before Einstein. Simply put, special relativity, as published by Einstein in 1905 in a paper called on the electrodynamics of moving bodies is the idea that time is literally a fourth dimension, dubbed space-time. Einstein demonstrated to the world how time could be perceived and measured in an entirely different way depending upon your point of reference or your position in space. Yet in 1842, Joseph Smith published the same thing, without all the math, in the book of Abraham, in the pearl of great price. Listen to Abraham chapter three, starting at verse six. It is given unto thee, Abraham, to know the times of reckoning and the set time, yea, the set time of the earth upon which thou standest, and the set time of the greater light, which is set to rule the day, and the set time of the lesser light, which is set to rule the night. Now the set time of the lesser light is a longer time as to its reckoning, then the reckoning of the time of the earth upon which thou standest. And where these two facts exist, there shall be another fact above them. That is, there shall be another planet whose reckoning of time shall be longer still. Dude, that's special relativity. I mean, it's so classic, so synonymous with 20th century science. It's breathtaking. Abraham knew about space-time relationships millennia before Einstein. And he did it without the aid of Bill Nye, Morgan Freeman, Mr. Spock, Iron Man, or Captain America. It's so important to understand science is always going to have its limitations. Why? Well, because it always bases its conclusions upon what can be observed in the present or in the temporal world. Yet in LDS doctrine, we're taught right from the get-go to look at the universe from the perspective of three separate realities, the premortal existence, where every living thing existed spiritually with God, mortality, which is where we are now, and the post-mortal existence, or paradise in the celestial kingdom, all of which, except for premortality, are found right here in this very room where we're all sitting or standing on the surface of this planet within what quantum mechanics might today call parallel universes i always found it so strange how so many documentaries i watch on national geographic discovery animal planet smithsonian and and i'm a real uh, i'm a real geek watching all of those shows anyway how all those documentaries are so bloated so convoluted so overwhelmed and so conquered by the theory of evolution that the language of it permeates every episode. The narrators or guest scientists will talk about how some creature starts out on land and begins to metamorphosize and loses its four limbs and returns to the ocean like they're talking about Bruce Banner transforming into the Incredible Hulk. Most don't even bother anymore to talk about the passage of millions of years and millions of individual living organisms. It's as if the metamorphosis is referring to the journey of one individual creature, one single organism. And the culture is so indoctrinated that further explanations aren't even necessary. But again, keep in mind, today's popular perspectives of evolution, in fact of all science, are 100% dependent upon observations made in only one of the three eternal perspectives outlined in our theology—mortality—in the temporal world. From only a mortal perspective, it's presently impossible to observe that a living creature—for example, one called the Australopithecus caveman—first existed spiritually in the premortal existence— came to this earth to receive a physical body, and then went on to its eternal destiny. All of those individual Australopithecus cavemen are still out there in some eternal realm, probably awaiting reunion with their physical bodies, just like every other creature that has ever inhabited our planet. As it tells us in Moses 3, chapter 5, everything that inhabits our earth was created spiritually before it was created physically. That would include every mammoth, mustard seed, mosquitoes, even measles viruses. And listen, I'll be the first to admit, even with the totality of all the doctrinal tenets of our religion, we can't begin to answer every question proposed by science since the gospel was restored. But because we do understand certain pivotal, preeminent concepts Sometimes listening to science as it gropes to draw conclusions about the order of living specimens arriving and becoming extinct over millions of years without injecting the concept of eternal progression can be almost amusing. Heavenly Father could explain so much in probably just a few short verses, but how many of us are actually asking him? How many of us are making a sincere effort to combine knowledge with the light of truth. Now, purists in the field of science would think it's anathema to even see it from that perspective. They'd wear garlic and hold up a cross like warding off a vampire. But you know what? I'm speaking now to those who are on the fence, trying to decide whether to go the way of the world or hold true to your religious convictions. Please, don't knock yourself out. Don't get so stressed. You know what? We don't have to have all the answers. Maybe it's simply the pursuit of knowledge the disciplined and determined study of all things pertaining to life in the universe that expands the synapses of the mind and provides the necessary cerebral and spiritual exercise that prepares us for what we're about to learn in the eternities. Just make me this promise, everyone listening to this podcast Never allow your faith to be discombobulated or thrown into disarray because of the strictly temporal observations of modern science. It's foolishness. Instead, science should, in all its imperfections, expand our minds and enlarge our spirits with thousands of questions, many of which may be answered the very instant we shuffle off this mortal coil and pass beyond the veil, having our memories of life with Heavenly Father before we were born restored in one blinding instant. Listen, we're going to try and make a new podcast and post it every Tuesday morning, and I hope for many it becomes your weekly energy jolt. We have so much more to come, so much more planned. Even today, I only said about a quarter of what I wanted to say. We'd like to keep these podcasts around 20 to 25 minutes with rare exceptions if the subject demands it or if one of our guests inspires it maybe we'll go a little longer but please don't think i am infallible it seems inevitable that someone will point to something i said some tidbit of research i conducted and and i'll be horribly embarrassed and i'll have to retract every word i just know that some science nerd is going to write in for example and say you are aware, of course, that the Morley-Mickelson experiment of 1887 actually laid the entire foundation for Einstein's theory of special relativity. Spare me of stuff like that, okay? Joseph Smith's still beaten by 40 years. Still, I know, listeners are sometimes sincerely going to surprise me. I might hear, for example, hey, Henry Eyring Sr. mentioned that stuff about Joseph Smith and Einstein 50 years ago and did it in a way that was much more entertaining than you. No problem. Sounds uh, to, to me like I'm in pretty good company, if that's the case. I'd I'd actually be flattered. The point is, I'm not obsessed with always being totally accurate or being the first or being unique. If Mr. Hur is right, I'm never going to say anything that someone else hasn't already said anyway. So if anyone finds flaws in my words, please let me know. I mean, do your worst. And if I said something wrong, I hope I can always be humble enough, man enough to admit it. Well, we're still working out some of the cooler features on Forever LDS. I mean, for example, I'd love to teach a course on writing fiction, creating plots, designing characters, publishing, selling, longevity in this crazy business, the whole nine yards of making a living in this so-called career, a tell-all series on how to avoid the traps and snarls. And it would have a cost. I mean, we'd keep it cheap, But we're still making all this stuff up as we go along, figuring out the fairest, most professional ways to keep my dreams of creating fiction and art alive for LDS consumers, whether we do it through book sales or donations or whatever else our little minds can conjure. In any case, Forever LDS is determined to be the best at what it does. Don't miss our next podcast. I feel like I just scratched the surface with today's subject, so maybe I'll continue in that vein. Or I'll invite a guest. Trust me, it'll be worth your time. Until then, stay close to the Lord. And remember, if you don't feel as close to God today as you did yesterday, who moved? I think you already know the answer to that. God bless you and God bless your families. This is Chris Heimerdinger signing off and signing out.